Hello and welcome back to Contractor Evolution. This is your host, Benji, my co-host, Igor, uh, will be here joining us in a minute. So today's conversation is a big one. If you've been following along and listening to our episodes uh, over the weeks and months, you should know that we're deeply committed to empowering you, the evolving contractor, to build the business of your dreams. So, um, you know, we've talked about tactics and systems. We've gotten into habits and best practices, um, but we're starting to feel like there's a bit of an elephant in the room that we want to address. And that is that none of the stuff we're talking about matters if you feel like your labor pool is literally evaporating before your eyes. So, I want to make something really clear. Uh, if you're bumping up against this challenge, you are not crazy. You are not alone. <laughs> Your feelings and emotions and frustrations are totally warranted. Uh, it's true. Millennials and Gen Zers are not as gritty as Gen Xers or baby boomers. It's also true that, that COVID has thrown a wrench in the works, right? There's this simultaneous increase in the demand for your services um, while the pandemic has shrunk the workforce that you have to deliver them. So if you're feeling the pinch in your hiring efforts right now, stay tuned. This episode is for you. Today on the show, we're going to be joined by three amazing Breakthrough Academy coaches, Danny Kerr, Thomas Cobley, and Ryan Gable. So just an FYI, Breakthrough Academy is the parent company to this Contractor Evolution podcast, um, and it's where Igor and I work the rest of the time when we're not doing this. And what it is, is it's a coaching and development program purpose-built for fast-growing trades and construction companies. So if that sounds like you, you should check us out online. It's btacademy.com or at btacademy on Instagram. Um, but because we actively coach over 400 companies right now, and we've coached many hundreds more over the years, we've got a very broad and powerful perspective on some of these bigger picture trends that go on in the industry. And we thought it would be really fun to get some of our brightest minds together to discuss this labor shortage where it came from, and what you as a business owner can do about it. So in this two-part episode, we're going to get into some cool stuff. Um, right off the top, we'll talk about some macro trends that are creating this labor vacuum uh, that a lot of you are probably battling against right now. Uh, we'll get into the seven fundamentals that make up a strong employer brand and how building one can fix a lot of your team building challenges long term. Then in part two, we're going to share some cheap and easy, uh, quick to implement tactics that a lot of our highest performing contractors are leveraging uh, to bring aboard the A players that they need, even in this tight market. So I really hope you enjoy this recruiting roundtable. You're listening to Contractor Evolution, where we unpack the systems, tactics, and skills you need to take your fast-growing contracting business to the next level. If you're here to learn what it takes to scale up, work less, and increase profitability, you've come to the right place. Stay tuned to learn what separates the new breed of contractor from the old school, and welcome to your ultimate guide on the business of contracting. Hey, just before we jump into things, I wanted to let you know you can get the free resources that we talk about in this episode in the show description. So hit pause right now, go download them, and they'll be waiting in your inbox by the time we finish this episode. Danny, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, guys. Awesome. Ryan, how are you doing? Doing great, thanks. Awesome. And Thomas, good to see you. Good to see you, man. Excited to be here. Absolutely. So uh, these three fine gentlemen, uh, it's really exciting to have them on combined. Uh, they have experience coaching and working with hundreds of highly successful companies in, in our industry and certainly have no shortage of mileage when it comes to understanding recruiting and what works, what doesn't work, what it what it looks like to build a world-class employer brand. So um, it's, uh, it's really exciting to have them on here, Benji. It sure is. Um, this is going to be a fun one. Uh, it's a big conversation. We're doing a, a, a two-part uh, episode. So let's dive in. I want to start with um, a question about like what you guys are seeing in the marketplace right now. As Igor just said, there's sort of a, um, a very broad aggregate perspective on the contracting space in general. We work with a multitude of industries from construction to roofing to landscaping to painting to all the sub-trades. Canada, North America, we're a pretty plugged in group, I would say. And I, I, 
on, on the note of like the labor market, what kind of attitudes and feelings are you guys picking up on right now? Yeah, I would say probably the most recent and most loud one I'm hearing from everybody is just people are being paid to sit at home right now. And there is just an unbelievable amount of money in this economy. And there is quite literally a vacuum that's created from that, right? Like there is no getting away from the fact there is more money in this economy than there is people to do the work. And we're even creating a bigger chasm by giving a lot of those people money to just stay at home. Because they're Mm -hmm. optimally, some of them are getting paid more to do that than to go out to work. So there's two big factors on both ends that are driving that, right? Totally. Ryan, what what are you sensing? You know, a lot of the members that I work with are sensing that there's a lot more individuals uh, leaving the industry than are entering. So a lot of people are retiring from the construction industry and not as many people are entering uh, entering it. But then also the construction industry as a whole is expanding. So there's a lot more work out there and less people entering and more people leaving, which is creating a gap. Mm-hmm. Thomas? Yeah, building on Ryan's point, like millennials and Gen Z are, are definitely shifting towards more technical work, such as technology and professional service jobs. That's, that seems to be an observation among quite a few members. Uh, COVID has also created unique challenges over, over the past years with more people out of the workforce, as mentioned, and government subsidies being paid out to, uh, to, to workers as well. So these are some common things we're hearing. <clears throat> so there's um, a confluence of some really big like macro patterns you could say there's uh like 10 plus years of a booming economy uh which is obviously soaking up a lot of the labor force especially in real estate especially in real estate and like really anything to do with buildings building them fixing them making them prettier you know like that that's that's uh a hot quadrant of the economy right now and has been for a a while you've got generational stuff so i think there's this feeling among a lot of contractors was like man like kids these days right like people they don't want to work as hard as i did or certainly not as hard as my my dad or my granddad did or, or like whatever so there's there's an attitude where it's like the 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 younger people maybe aren't as interested um in in this industry and there's you know you could maybe say educators don't talk about it enough to them or or you know instagram is distracting them and making it seem uncool there's a whole there's a whole bunch of reasons for that and i get it and then you have like this um to make it worse is this COVID thing where it's like people as danny said have been paid to stay at home um uh and and that is having an effect certainly on like especially that like those labor roles in these businesses it just feels like you post an ad and it's it's total crickets like nobody even applies so i want to make a really important point all of these feelings are totally valid these are real if you as a business owner are going through this and and you're feeling this way and you're driving home from the job site frustrated by it like you're not alone you're not crazy this is definitely a thing but i want to make a really fundamental point before we get into this employer brand stuff which is this despite all that and most of it you don't have a ton of control over these are big picture patterns huge factors they're coming together yeah despite all that you still have a people-driven business to run Mm -hmm. and so i think a really smart contractor right now would accept that fact and go yep it is harder than it's ever been but what can i do actively where should i shift my focus to account for that because if you're not going to, I, I honestly can say, and I don't want to be doom and gloom, but like it's, I don't think it's going to be like a ton better in five or 10 years. Like it's this, this might get harder. So um, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. And I just want to like really say that clearly right at the outset. This is very real. You're not crazy. You're not alone. It's definitely a thing. But what we're going to spend some time on over the rest of the episode is like where to put that frustration and where to put that that energy. And so before we dive into sort of like, you know, the, the fundamentals of what makes a good employer brand. Igor, I wanted to ask you just like in your own experience, in your own words, uh, let's get on the same page about what we mean by employer brand. Yeah. So from my perspective of an employer brand is that it, it's the way that you define and the way that you also communicate what I'd like to call it, say your employer value proposition. So I'll unpack that a little bit. I think that a lot of entrepreneurs do think about the fundamentals of like, what's your value proposition to the world, right? Like, why do you exist as a business? How do you add value to the marketplace? How do you make your customer's life 
uh, and their world a better place. I think most of us have put some level of thought into that, yeah. but I think relatively few, even very smart contractor entrepreneurs have really put that same amount of thought into what is my compelling value offer for my staff and my team, right? So um, it's basically like, what are these promises that we make as a brand to our past employees, our current employees, and our future employees mm -hmm. in exchange for their talents, their experience, their contacts, uh, their, their skills and certifications and everything, right? So it's, it's, it's really understanding that is like as a brand, what promise are we making to, to our staff, our future staff in exchange for the extremely hard work that, that, that they're going to, to give to us. And, and the big part two to that, like I said, is then how do we communicate that effectively? So it's, it's a big piece and it's a complex piece, um, but why, one of the things I love that you previously said in, in one of our contractor quick tools, Benji, is like, I think it was along, along the lines of like, if building your dream team isn't worth a bit of work, I don't know what is, right? right? So while this is a really big concept, I think that it is a pretty worthwhile thing to wrap your head around and to dive into because um, building your dream team is a pretty freaking fun endeavor for the long term. So that's kind of how I look at employer brand. And, and, and it is super important for the long term, Benji, that you're right. These are huge forces that are, that have, that are converging, mm -hmm. right, that are making this thing really hard. And they're probably going to get a bit worse before they get better. And, yeah. um, and if you're going to be playing in the recruiting game for super high performers, you have to have this dialed, right? We've, we talk sometimes in marketing about like how you have to draw, you have to put money to get eyeballs until you have a brand that is so strong where it does that it itself. This is, this is the same it. kind yeah. of thing, right? Like yeah. you're going to have to fight a really uphill battle until you build a real employer brand that's well known in the marketplace. Um, and, uh, and, and it's only at that point that, that, that recruiting is, is going to get a bit easier. Right. Um, I think a lot of people know, uh, like a pretty famous founder of Lululemon Chip Wilson. And, and I remember one of the things that, that, that I've heard him speak about is this like concept of, he realized relatively early on in the Lululemon story that, uh, like, I mean, he was so focused on treating employees exceptionally well. And, and even though he was losing some of them as they kind of developed and matured, especially in their early days, he realized that like, man, we're getting so many more applications and so many more employees because they're going out and talking such positive things right. about their time here, right? And that's that employer brand. It's basically like, what does the marketplace think of what it's like to work for you? So most <clears throat> most people are totally aware that their you know their um, client facing brand is something that they display to the marketplace that hopefully yeah. builds trust and makes a potential customer want to do business with you. This is the exact same thing for people for the people you may want to hire. It's how yeah. you display your company, not to customers, but to people who want to be a technician, they want to be a project manager, they want to be an estimator, whatever the roles that you're hiring are, it's how you portray that to that marketplace. Yeah, it's what are your brand's promises to that group, and then how do you communicate it Okay. in a nutshell. Okay, so we've organized this into two sections. We're gonna spend some time breaking down what we're calling like the fundamentals of a strong employer brand. And I just want to say this before we get in, this is bigger picture stuff. These ideas are not things that you can go out and like quickly implement next week. It's, it's more like as a leader, if you're going to be in business for the long haul, this needs to be on your radar. You need to be thinking and strategically moving your business in this direction. So we're going we've got seven fundamentals. And then in part two of this episode, we're going to share like some quick and dirty, like what can you do next week that will actually move the needle positively for you? And so that's what's coming up in part two would be those faster, simpler, easy to implement uh, bits. So we're going to start with uh, there's there's seven <clears throat> fundamentals that we've come up with. And to be clear, we didn't just make these up like this is coming from the 400 plus businesses that we actively coach. This is what our top, top, top performers are doing. And they're seeing very, very real results in their recruiting and hiring efforts because of it. So that's where this comes from. That's where this comes from. And we're just going to share it with you guys. The first of seven is what we're calling visible growth opportunities. Igor, what do we mean by that? Yeah. So the, the, the way I think about this is like your job as a leader in your business 
um, a core function of it, I'll say, is to develop ascension plans and roadmaps for the right people on your team as as they develop, right? So you've got a number of, of core functions, things like you have, you really have to do as a leader, like you have to ensure the financial viability of your business, you have to budget, you have to track to make sure you don't run into a financial mess. You need to plan some level of like mark, like sales planning, production planning, things like that. To add to that list of crucial stuff is this development of your people. And, and a ton of entrepreneurs I see don't put enough kind of focused time on that on that every year. Um, you know, if, if I was to ask you, like, how much devoted, dedicated time do you have to this each year? Um, I think for most people would say that, that it's, it's not enough as, as it should be. So my recommendation is that it's kind of like it, it becomes a ritual of every one of your December months. So every December, you've got pre-planned time in your schedule where um, you're wholly devoted to looking at like who's on your roster, um, who is performing and who is developing and who's growing as they mature and, and who is ripe for some development opportunities. Um, if you're not spending, I would say like five, six focused hours on that, just once a year, every December, um, there's some opportunity there. But if, if you want to be, if you want to build a great employer brand over time, you've got to, um, you've got to put some thought into who you're developing and how. Uh, high, high performers don't want a dead end job. They don't want a dead end job. And I think, I think a lot of employers know that conceptually, you know, if you're to say to right. that to somebody, they're like, well, yeah, duh. of course. Yeah. Duh. Yeah. But my question to you then is how much time do you focus on that developmental and ascension path for your people? I got it. Okay. Um, Thomas, let's go to you. Yeah, totally. I kind of building on what you were saying there, like key questions to consider, I would say, you know, are you able to demonstrate the path to ascension in your company? As, as Igor was mentioning, do your employees understand what growth opportunities are available to them and how they can get there? One uh, case example comes to mind is Judy, uh, Claude, uh, Judy and Claude Koch, uh, owners of uh, K-Van Land Landscape. Uh, so they've created a well laid out and organized career path. Uh, for employees to see. So from a landscaper, foreman to a production manager, uh, Judy and Claude have identified and laid out what the level of experience, skills, and preferences and abilities are to reach the, the various roles within their, within their company. Uh, this has been captured, as mentioned, in the career path document that is available to all the team members uh, and is an excellent tool that they use to showcase the career trajectory for their team, uh, for their team members. Cool. So even yeah. though it's just even though it's it's a landscaping company, there's there's clearly a um, they can show to a potentially new employee. It's like, hey, you start here, but over time, like this is what we'd like to develop you into. So it's way it's totally. way more appealing. That's a much easier sell than like you're gonna mow lawns forever, right? Yeah. And and the interesting thing, just to highlight on what Thomas was saying there, is like those business owners, they clearly put thought into that, right? That it they didn't just come out of thin air. They, they would have had to sit down and think through that um, quite thoroughly, right? In, in order to be able to build that kind of clarity for their team. Totally. Yeah. Danny? I think to, yeah, like a way to, so in building that, I think you will organically create a place that people want to be, but to actually get that word out to the public eye, I think you need to be intentional in two different areas. One is I think your company itself should be looking to be winning awards. So if there's awards mm -hmm. that can be presented by your chamber of commerce, the construction industry, whatever it is, people should know like this company is a high performance company. Look at what they've achieved. That's part of it. And the other thing is to then take that same methodology or that way of thinking and start to give your people awards for different things that they're doing, whether it's on an annual basis or as you know, leader of the year, employee of the month, whatever that would be. I know even on my end, Igor YouTube, James or um, Benji YouTube, we have stuff from our background way back in the day in the, in the franchise industry we were part of. We still hang those awards on our wall because we're proud of them and they're part of who we are and people ask us about them and it creates organic conversations of all that work that went into you know getting that thing versus just, yeah, I got it and I feel good intrinsically but nobody really knows because I didn't have a way to talk about it. So I think just having awards, both things your your company is trying to achieve in the external marketplace, and creating that culture, and and uh, yeah, just like creating that like place or, or that recognition for your staff is huge. Mm -hmm. That's all solid. Just to piggyback on that, uh, Danny, um, like what I'm seeing with a lot of my members. I mean, you hear the cliche that promote from within. But I mean, it's, it's there for a reason. It's really important that employees know that they have a path forward within their organization. 
and a lot of uh, the guys I work with actually point to their current employees. Oh, that person was hired as a tech and is now a project manager. You know, in in the hiring process, right? So you can actually talk to the candidates about that and and show examples of what that looks like. Um, a few of them are also um, using. Uh, like Orca Masonry in Victoria, for example, they have a really flushed out apprenticeship program. So they're supporting their people and their growth within their company by getting them, getting you know, getting them registered in the apprentice program, do, reporting their hours, encouraging them to actually seek out the uh, educational portions and suggesting when the best time to work on that stuff is. They're even um, ex, uh, purposely exposing them to different elements of that program so that they can get a flushed out look at it. And then they're um, helping financially as well. So they're really supporting their team with the growth. And an apprenticeship program, solid, but then some other members are taking that to the next level and making it like custom or special to them. One member calls it the Jedi program, right? So, you know, this is like, you know, you reach Jedi level when you have achieved mastery of this program. Right. And it gives, it gives them something exciting. Other, other members use like video game analogies or sports team analogies. And so it's like, oh, I'm going to level up. I'm going to be level two because I achieved this. Or, you know, or like I said, the Jedi um, or I'm an MVP. Uh, so those are just some, some, some yeah. real life examples I'm seeing. I, I love um, th- those those sort of ascension plan examples. Um, Thomas, you talk about Kaiben. Ryan, you talk about Orca. It's like it's so important to remember that the people that you really want on your team are interviewing you just as much as you are interviewing them, and and the ability to like display that and say, hey, you know what, this is where this leads. I think is. Um, a fundamental, which is why it sits first on the list. So that's uh, that's the visible growth opportunities part. Um, the second piece <clears throat> maybe comes as no surprise. It's it's top tier compensation. People need to be paid adequately. Um, Thomas, let's start with you. Then we'll go to Ryan after that. Yeah, totally. Yeah, paying your team members fairly and competitively is definitely key for you know employee job satisfaction, retention, and recruiting. Uh, top tier competition goes hand in hand with benefits as well that your company provides. Um, it's important also just to note to budget a viable amount towards your variable and fixed expenses where both your direct and indirect labor, uh, such as your laborers and salary workers, are being paid fairly and um, and and uh, and are compensated uh, compared to that fairly to the market. Um, the other aspect I would kind of build into that, which a story comes to mind, is uh, Keiko McPherson with Proco uh, Painting. Mm-hmm. She's based in Alberta. She has set a direct uh, set a direct compensation structure for each role within her company. So, kind of, so compensation is tied to the level of skill and hierarchy within uh, within the company. So, employees within a given role have a set set compensation and benefit structure. Um, compensation is assessed each year and set at a competitive rate compared to the marketplace. So um, ultimately, her team members are paid fairly for their level of role they're in, and they're really bought in. So compensation is a big one, and kind of t- big big takeaway from my perspective is make sure you tap into your budget, make sure you allocate the right dollar amount that's that's uh, can truly cover those those different positions within your within your company. Yeah, I, just to. I agree so much, Thomas. The um, charge, uh, like first things, we have to, as business owners, get over the mentality of of what you used to pay someone versus what you need to pay for, pay right. them or pay, compensate them now. Because like we always get stuck. Well, when I, you know, I used to be able to get really good people for this amount, and that th- those days are over. Mm-hmm. Um, you need to not only get over that, but you need to accept the fact that in five or six years, the amount that you'll be paying them will seem ridiculous to what you're paying them now. Um, so charge more, um, p- pay your people more, and you're going to have to charge your customers more in order to get that, that compensation to your people, and that's okay. Um, and also just a reminder that compensation is more than just money. It's yeah. more than just the dollars. You know, It's everything that Thomas was talking about from benefits to flexibility, but I would find out what's important to that individual right, and give them that. Right, If one person wants... Uh, a little bit of flexibility on Friday afternoons, okay. If one person needs uh, benefits or a gas card or whatever, I'd say work with your people to find out a compensation that's actually going to attract them. 
be open-minded is, is where I'm going. Here. I think that open-minded part is really important. I just want to make sure for listeners, like we're, we're not saying like just like blindly pay the top dollar in your market because because Contractor Evolution said so, like in a very blanket statement way. It is a case-by-case scenario. Um you don't need to, you don't necessarily need to pay the absolute most and in fact we have a lot of businesses with a very strong employer brand who have competitors that are paying a couple bucks an hour more but their employees stay with them because of these other things that you just talked about Ryan the flexibility the paid time off maybe they get uh, a really good healthcare package some some benefits program there's a whole bunch of different ways to do this um, and it's not just like blindly paying $5 an hour more than everybody else in your space. So that, that's a really important point. Um, Igor, what do you want to say about this compensation piece? And then we'll go to Danny. Yeah, I mean, you got to realize that this is all just a market, right? And a market's a market. And, and I know that there are a lot of contractors that, that look at competitors and say, well, wow, these guys, these guys pay project managers or, or, or lead hands or whatever so much. Um, and I can't do that, but you have to realize this is like really basic math, right? They're, they're charging a certain amount and then they pay their staff a certain amount and, and there's a certain profit margin in between like that. That's, that's all there is. So if not just one company, but if you're looking around at a number of companies are making certain wage levels or pay scales work for the long haul, clearly that math is working for them. Right. And, and if it's, and if you're looking at those numbers and you're like, wow, I really can't do that. There's an error somewhere in your pricing model, essentially. Mm -hmm. And fundamentally you must not be charging enough because clearly all those guys are, and they're making money because they're doing it long term and they're adding value to the marketplace all at the same time. Right. So, um, just understand it's, it's, it's a market like, like any other. And if, and if a number of other organizations are able to pay really well, um, significantly higher than you are, then you can too. And if you think you can't make it work, you got to look at your budget and your pricing model because clearly there's, there's something error. there. It's yeah. just a market. Yeah, to, to that point, actually, if you look, it's funny, when I'm bringing members in, I, I constantly hear this one thing. We have more work than we can handle if only we could find the people to yeah. do Yeah. That is literally like every second conversation. Verbatim. I, have, I hear it too. Team. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's interesting. I'm like, okay, well, <laughs> we're talking a lot about charging more right now. Why don't we charge more? Well, you know, because like we might lose some work. And I'm like, I, yeah, I know. You just said. <laughs> You've got too much. But it's, but it's emotional, right? So it's just kind of like, oh, like I, I could see the customer, you know, really questioning me on this. And it's just like we have to get over that because especially right now, like we've pumped 40% of all the dollars ever printed in the United States, specifically Canada's similar, were printed last year. We pump so much money into the marketplace, and if we're not ahead of this curve, we're going to get overtaken by inflation. And I think if we can't support our people to do the same and pay for their bills and do what they need to do, you know, it's you're, you're only holding yourself back, right? So look at your sales ratio. If your sales ratio is anywhere above, you know, 50, 60 percent, you need to charge more. It's a clear indicator. If it's 30 percent and you're still struggling to book the work, you actually might need to work on your sales process. Your inability to explain the value to your customer is stopping you from being able to pay your people what they're worth. But either way, the, the SR, the closing ratio, and actually the ability to attract work is, um, is something to be very aware of. It can be too high, believe it or not. Totally. And it's costing you on your ability to find people. Danny, to piggyback, like I see this so often with members I coach is when they started their business, they had that scarcity mindset where they had to say yes to every single every single job, every single customer. They had to get it no matter what. And so mm. they compromised on price. They compromised. They compromised. Now you're successful. You're a successful business owner. You don't have to say yes to everything. And you shouldn't because supply and demand in the marketplace right now is demanding that you should be charging more so you don't get as much work, so you can pay your people more. But we're still stuck in that, I got I to gotta get every job. I won't be successful. What if things die down? I don't know. I don't know. But like with so many business owners, it's just like slap yourself, calm down. <laughs> You're running a successful business now. You don't have to take every single job. It's okay. Charge a little more so you don't get them all. I can't agree with you. I got this PTSD from the past. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. I love it. Go, go have a, a pep talk in the mirror and, and slap some sense into yourself. Charge a bit more. Pay your people a bit more. You'll be okay. Uh, point number three. Okay, moving on. <clears throat> this is something we've described as running a mission-based business or a purpose-driven business. That might sound a little abstract. So, Igor, I want you, Igor, I want you to break that down for us. What do we mean by mission-based or purpose-driven? Well, I think that this 
newer generation, especially that's that's entering and is now in the workforce, uh, cares about a whole ton of stuff in addition to just uh, making making money and being able to fuel their lifestyle. There there is an innate need, and I think it's it's been kind of ingrained in them from a pretty young age that they need to do something meaningful in the world. And um, and I know that in our industry, it can be um, a little bit more. Um, more difficult to portray that than if you're like a designer at Instagram, right? So it's, um, there, there is, there is certainly an element of like, you gotta be, I think as a, as a founder, you have to be hyper aware of, um, of why your company exists. And what, what I mean by that is like, realize that before it was real, it was just a figment of your imagination. You clearly created it for a reason. Mm-hmm. And one of those reasons or factors in you creating it was you wanted to make the world a better place at some level, right? And you got to, I would encourage you just to ask yourself that question right now. You're, you know, X number of years into your business by the fact that it does exist and it's here. How is the world a better place? When you think about your clients and those that you serve, uh, how are their lives better, right? So when I think prior to Breakthrough Academy and the build out and growth of very rapid growth of Shack Shine. Uh, yeah, it was, we're cleaning windows, we're cleaning gutters, we're pressure not washing that glamorous. stuff. It's not, it wasn't that glamorous. I mean, I spent a lot of time on a roof, super dirty and, and the pouring rain and all that kind of stuff. But when I really think of all those customers and they're just going, they're like, I'm visually seeing hundreds of them right now spinning through my head. Like we made those people's lives better, like in a very meaningful way. Like they would, their, their, their patio is beautiful. There's no like green moss and algae and the windows are clean. And, and they, they just got back from like a, a meaningful workout or a family trip or whatever. They weren't like on the roof, cleaning gutters and pressure washing for two days. Like we, we, we lit, we absolutely made people's lives better. So yeah. I think you've got to really think about that is like, what are you, how are you, how do you serve people, other humans of this earth? And, um, and as, uh, <laughs> you know, it sounds, sounds a little woo woo, but it's, it, it is interesting. It's like, like you do make the lives of other humans better and, and you should wrap your head on what that is. So that's step one. And then number two, you got to think how you story tell that because you have a role as a founder to engage people into your story. Yeah. Like I know, you know, that's a huge part, Danny, of what you do super well. You're able to engage people into a story and a message. Um, so you have to know what that, what, what that story is really as it pertains to this, and then you have to be able to articulate it. Yeah. You know, you know, what's interesting too, is especially talking about this, where we're talking about how do you really build a brand around finding good people for your company? I know even for myself, like I've always reflected on like, why did I start this business? Like what was going on in my mind at the time that like got me to go do this. Right. And going back to even like the painting side, like I remember like I was coming out of high school. I was like, I had a bit of a chip on my shoulder because I felt I was way more capable than people were giving me credit for. And I felt that there was like, I was like the underdog and I had to like fight to like prove myself for who I was. And like starting this business gave me an opportunity to really have an arena to do that. And as that painting business grew, you know, between the painters and eventually the franchisees that I was working with, that was our story. Like I hired a bunch of people that were kind of underdogs and they all wanted to prove themselves and make themselves something and be able to be a part of something where that's what we were doing as a group. And I remember they go, Edmonton was my area that we had. And, and it was just funny, like the whole culture was like, how do we prove to the, you know, to College Pro Painters, which was the company we were at at the time, how do we prove to the entire franchise organization that Edmonton can be the best place ever to rock a painting business? Mm-hmm. Because if you think about Edmonton, it's kind of a, it's kind of a, I don't want to say whole, but it's kind of a cold, desolate place that doesn't scream opportunity. Our Edmonton right? listeners are just going to drop off. Of <laughs> They're going to throw things at me. <laughs> I live there. I went through it. You that was my it. world. That was my opinion. It was cold. But there was tons of opportunity there. And we found that opportunity. And we proved the entire Canadian you know, national brand that we can do something that nobody else could do because we believed in ourselves, even though we were underdogs. And that drove our team so, like, all in the same direction in a much more powerful way because it was intrinsic to what we cared about in yeah. our own life. Yeah, I, I, it's, it's, it's such an important point, and it's something I see a few of our members do really, really well. It's like you're not just, you're not just installing roofs; you're protecting people's most important asset and their family. You're not just painting siding; you're beautifying homes and where people live. You're not just like you know, doing a landscape job, you are creating someone's dream yard. And it's like, yeah, that might sound a little bit, you know, you say it's like a bit woo woo. It's a bit like markety, 
I'm telling you, like, this is what younger generations care about. If you just like sit down for an interview and you say, well, we just, we roof roofs and we pay you this much or we renovate houses and we pay you this much. It's like, they don't care. And, and, and that might be like a tough pill to swallow, but it's a pill to swallow and get on the other side because this genuinely is working very, very well for the landscapers, the roofers, the renovators, yeah. the home builders like that we work change. with. And it doesn't look like it's going to change. So build a narrative, tell a story. It's not just a simple, you do this for X amount of dollars. It's like we impact the world, our market, our neighborhood in a more significant way than may meet the eye. And it's your job as a founder to <clears throat> bottle up that story and tell it very, very well. So that's what we mean by mission-based or purpose-driven food for thought. Okay, moving on. Sorry, Danny, was Danny going to say something? Oh, yeah, I, I had a thought on this too. Like one thing I've thought a lot about for a lot of years is how do you in business create relationships that are not transactional, mm -hmm. right? Now in business, it kind of lends itself to that because like customer pays you money to do a job, you pay your employees money to do their job. But how do you kind of go above that and create like a united purpose, and I think that what we're talking about right now with like the mission-driven kind of purpose in your organization, it, it starts with all of that. And if you're constantly just like, well, like you're a landscaper, just landscape, you know, landscape every day, Monday to Friday, like that's your job and that's the end of it. It gets transactional pretty quick. Yeah. And you start to get to into a place with people where people are like, well, I gave you my hours, now give me my pay versus like, I get it, man. I'll come, I'll be here on Saturday. We got to rock this job before the, before the rain hits. Let's make sure it happens. Like they're in it for more than just the money. And when you can get away from that, all kinds of avenues open up beyond just the brand itself. Totally. Danny, I, I had an interesting thought on this literally this morning as, as I was getting out of a cab here to the office, but I'll use the analogy um, of, let's just say, bricklaying, and then, and then I'll use the taxi one. Like hundreds of years ago, if you were a part of a community around people you loved and you, know, you had your area and your tribe and the community you lived in and you got into being a bricklayer, and you know now we call it a business, but you might have had some people working with you. You you would have gotten into that because you wanted to help people build their houses, right? And you would have gotten some people to help yeah. you, and you're helping your neighbor down the street, and then maybe they give you a you know a goat in return or whatever. But now we do <laughs> things a bit differently. Back. We're going way back. <laughs> We're doing things a bit differently transactionally at, th at this point, right? But it's the same principle of like people you would at that point you would have gotten into that because you enjoy helping people your neighbors your community build their houses and now we just process it with like a visa card or a check or whatever it was the same thing this morning i was thinking about that as i was paying the taxi i was like like long ago some guy would have picked you up and they just liked helping people get around right now we just got to give them my visa and whatever but it wasn't an Uber, it was an old Just let cab. Uber do it. Just let Uber yeah. do it. You don't have to give them anything. But anyway, <laughs> it's, it's, it's that principle. I think it is important to have that big picture. Like, like there absolutely is a reason you got into this because clearly you care about something related to this industry and helping people and, and, and you have to keep telling that story even as I get it life gets in, into, you get into the loop. And I think it would surprise most business owners how much other people care about that too. 100%. Just try it. Just, Just try, try it. it. Um, <laughs> Okay, point number four is fun company culture. What is a fun company culture? Uh, Igor, we'll start with you, then we'll go Thomas, then we'll go Ryan. Yeah, this, this is another one of these things um, that I think if, if I told any entrepreneur is, I asked you, is having a fun company culture an important thing? Absolutely. Okay, so let me ask you this then. Uh, if you're at a computer right now, please pop open your annual budget. And if you're driving, when you get to your computer, pop it open. And I'd like you to look at your, your P&L, your budget for this year, in your line item for fun, culture, and team good times, how much money is allocated there for this year? Or, or just add a category called fun, <laughs> team good times. Right, okay, yeah. right. And, and similarly, how, look at your, your schedule for 2021 and all the blocks in your calendar. How many hours in total this year are allocated towards developing super awesome, fun, kick-ass events that are purely geared towards developing cohesion and good times on the team? How many hours, right? And I think that, so yes, everyone I ask, is this important? will be like, well, yeah, it is. But how much goes into it in resources, i.e. your time, your team's time and, and money getting, getting put into this stuff, right? And I think you'll quickly realize there's, there's quite a discrepancy here. So, you know, we... We spend like like we do multiple wicked team events a year. Like we were all together just recently, like multiple days, fly in with helicopters, river raft overnight, uh, 
like just amazing, super fun events. Um, and, and when I look at the amount of time that went into, that goes into that kind of stuff, uh, what where we're headed to in a couple months here, um, for their team day, right before the winter summit. Uh, when I look at that kind of stuff, even those big events that are larger expenditures, I mean, in our case, they're tens of thousands of dollars and a lot of time to plan them. That is freaking good ROI. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. When I look at that spend, I'm like, man, those are great dollars. Mm-hmm. Right. Last night where we were out at that Greek restaurant, we were eating lamb, drinking ouzo. Man, what a great spend of time and money. Totally. Right. So look at it. It's, it's an ROI. Right. And but you have to like you have to ask yourself, like, yeah, if you say it's important, uh, how much are you investing into walk, this? Objectively? Walk, the walk. walk the walk. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I would have to say, like, what Igor just attest, these uh, BTA events alone are just so much fun. And, and just the culture that it builds within is amazing. There's a, there's a, a quote by Jack Torrance once said, all work and no play makes, makes Jack a dull boy. And I think Homer Simpson built off of that. No TV, no beer makes Homer go crazy. And <laughs> I think, you know, when you think about that, it's, you know, it's, it's really about, like, making sure that life is, you know, work is an element, there's no question, but you got to have, have some fun culture in there. So it's not good enough also just to claim that you've, you have a good company. Ultimately, your employees and candidates will decide whether there's a good company culture or not. So you got to say, I have, I have a great co- company culture. Well, the proof, proof is in what you, what you actually do. So, um, you know, ways to think about ways you can create just like, you know, quick ideas is, you know, recognize milestones and achievements throughout the year create team meetings that employees look forward to participating in. Uh, it's not the board all meetings, but fun team huddles or and, you know, praise wins in there. Use social media to, to your advantage and start posting of your team culture. Uh, you're doing really kick, kick-ass events and fun things. And, and get out of the workplace uh, together. You go, go out go out to dinner, go to a, a sporting event. Um, I like to you know throw out some examples and, and a big shout out to Chanel and Curtis Thomas, owners of 180 Kitchens. Uh, they're based in British Columbia. They're gonna actually be on City TV, a local uh, news channel, just because of this. They've they've established a really family oriented culture in their business. Uh, they have like fun pizza parties, barbecues, and hangouts at their shop. Um, they're also gonna do a fully catered Christmas event. Uh, you know, they, they take, take their workers out to lunch for appreciation. So they kind of do that extra step to really uh, solidify a fun culture. One more fun thing I'll say about them is, you know, I was talking to them recently about this. They just ordered a giant large walnut table in their office to create like a unique, unique and like laid back space. So they want to get away from that like boardroom look in their, in their, in their office. So, and they, and they want to kind of create like a kitchen atmosphere where their, their team is, their team is part of their family and everyone you know, hangs around the, the kitchen table, shares ideas, and shares ideas of how the, the company continue to grow. So I just said I love that idea, and I think it's a unique way to look at culture and how you can foster that. So, yeah. That's good stuff, Thomas. Uh, you know, I, the analogy I have is like, if you're digging a ditch with your with your best friends, it doesn't matter that you're digging a ditch, right? So it doesn't right. really matter what the job is if you're doing it with people you, you enjoy being with, right? Um and like honestly, like what we're talking about here is how to get new candidates, how to get new people into your company, right? And you, your current employees—they're not sitting around having a beer, talking about how 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 true that wall was they built, or you know how waterproof that roof is. No, they're talking about that company event that you did, where like one of my members they went paintballing. And the owner of the company, it was him against the rest of the company. And so everybody got to take some shots on the <laughs> owner. And how satisfying is that, right? Plus, he's humble. And anyway, so like, like I could go through the same list, right? Barbecues, you know, events, fun, go-karting, all that stuff is so great. But you got to do it. You got to make it real in your company. Um, I got a member. He's got a. He he's proud of his beer fridge. You know, he's got a beer fridge. You know, it's got non-alcoholic and it's available to the staff. You know, at the end of the day, everyone can get around and, and have a have a laugh and stuff. And I didn't even realize until I went to visit his site, his company values and his um, you know his their long-term goals are all listed on a whiteboard that's above the fridge. You can't open the fridge without reading all this stuff. And I'm like, oh, Mike, did you do this on purpose? This is genius. He's like, uh, yeah, that's just where the whiteboard fit. But it doesn't matter. It was working. He, he's, uh, he's supporting his team by having a fun environment that he's, he's creating a space, not just the events, but like foosball, pool table, barbecue, there's steaks in the fridge and burgers. It's it's available for them. They can 
whether he runs it or not, natural organic hangouts of the staff can happen on off time or on the weekends and stuff yeah. like that. And he encourages stuff like that. To tie this all this stuff back to employer brand guys for a sec, like <clears throat> what happens when an employee works for a company like Mike's is they go tell their buddies. They're like, this place is awesome. Like the projects we work on are cool. Our customers are great. But my favorite thing is like the beer fridge or we the, just hang out. the event. Yeah. Like it's like th- this is how you get yeah. your people recruiting for you is you show them an insanely good time and give them make a vibe, like make a culture, make something that people want to be a part of. And they're probably going to spread that message to other people for you. Um, we all wanted to do the same stuff when we were kids, right? You just wanted to hang out at someone's cool house totally. with all the cool stuff. Right? Totally. It's, it's, it's not that thing. different. Um, Danny, got, before I move I, on, I want to go to you. Yeah, I got a thought, actually. It's a little different than that. Because I think that's all. I think there's a place, and that's very important. When I look at, even Benji, just working with you over the years, like our team has the most fun when we're winning. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, Think about that for a second. Because it's like, you know what? barbecue is really good like you know time together like all that stuff it really helps and that's a huge part of what you know we have a lot of fun doing but if we're not winning while we're doing all those things it doesn't actually land as as as, it's not as enjoyable and so i think it's so important for us like as leaders it's like how do we create a performance culture where we see ourselves as more like a high level sports team and we're trying to get to, to nationals and we're trying to win and we're doing everything we can to get there and how do we create something where our culture is we're having fun because we're winning mm-hmm. and we're challenging ourselves to get to that next level. And I think, you know, again, there's always a time and place for both. If it's just all the you know, rigid, like we got to hit the numbers that get, that gets tiring too. It's just like, I'm exhausted. All I'm trying to do is score a touchdown, but it's like, we're having a lot of fun in the office. We're hanging out, we're getting to know each other and we're hitting goals and we're, we're exceeding on stuff we've, we'd set up to go do and we're making good money doing it. The, the ability for a leader to get their team across the finish line and feel like winners at the end of the year is huge and makes the whole thing a lot more fun. Thousand percent. Couldn't agree more. Um, point number five is recognition. Um, Ryan, we'll start with you, then we'll go Thomas, then we'll go Igor. So let's let's talk about what we mean by recognition. Um, I like recognition, I think, super commonly overlooked element of being a leader, uh, especially in the trades industry. Um, classic scenarios, most most trades guys, I, they, they found out they were doing the wrong thing when their boss yelled at them, right? They didn't get positive recognition when it mattered. Um, a, a tool that I like to share with my members, in, and it, it speaks to like personalized recognition. So not just a pizza party every single time it's a pizza party. No, it's like I'm going to recognize my individual team members in a way that works for them. I used to have an Excel spreadsheet and I keep track of what was their $1 attaboy, what was their $100 attaboy. So yeah. if I'm going to buy junk food, who gets the Reese's peanut butter cups and who gets those weird cheesies, right? right. If I'm getting coffees for people, I'm getting the coffee the way you like it. You know, Benji gets the five cream, Danny gets five sugar, blah, blah, blah. You know, like, so it's a personalized recognition. Um, you know, when you say, you, you say thank you and you mean it. When you give them a bonus, you're, you don't just add their bonus to a line item on their paycheck, but you give it to them in cash, in an envelope, and you look them in the eye and you thank them for what they did. You shake their hand and you say, thanks a lot for this. Here's a $100 bill for yesterday. Yeah. That personalized recognition goes so much further than sort of the you know, whatever else you're doing, but mm. just taking the time to figure out what's important to your individual people and recognize them in a way that works for them. I had an employee that could not handle being recognized in public, so I had to grab him by his car to thank him for a good day's work because that's what worked for him, right? right? Another employee needed to be shouted across the whole field that she was doing a good job. That's the way she needed it. And very different things for this, the same exact action. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with Ryan's points of recognition. Personalized recognition is so, who, who doesn't like being recognized for the hard work that they do? Like, so, you know, recognizing milestones, anniversaries, years of service with the company, you know, even peer-to-peer nominations is it goes a big way. Uh, I remember like I used to play competitive soccer and our coach would pull us um, after the game and say, hey, I saw you just went all out, out out there. I really appreciate the efforts. Even the small things add up. You're like, you know what? I've, I've you've been training hard. I mean, and, and that makes that means a lot. So, think about you know consistency and the way you recognize recognize big you know company wins, 
Uh, as mentioned, recognize anniversaries or birthdays as well. Uh, celebrate these things because time goes quick, your year goes by fast, and before you know it, you're on to the next fiscal year and your team you know, is slugged away and worked hard for you, so it's a big factor. So I totally agree on, on Ryan's points as well. Personalized recognition. Igor, to you. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I think I'm going to come back to my same old point of like anyone can would agree. And yes, recognizing employees is super, super important. But I want to throw it right back to you of like how like what have you built in terms of regular rituals to do this? Right. Um, To, you know, to what you're saying, like time goes by quick. And then unless you actually like put some focused like headspace into this, the months are just going to roll on and the years are just going to roll on. So um, the question to you is like, you know, have you put in rituals to, to, to celebrate stuff, whether it's weekly, monthly, quarterly? Um, and uh, w- when I look at what we do, even every single week in the way that we start Team Huddle with wins and we have a whole channel on just like successes that people are having. And there's a bunch of these like mechanisms that are built in to do this. And, and unless you take the time just to put in some of this like infrastructure, these mechanics to um, to be able to recognize people, it's, it's not going to happen because you're just going to get busy. Um, one other point I, I do want to add is celebrating your people um, and publicly. I think it's really great for your employer brand, but it's also really good just for your general brand as a whole, right? Like, what are customers going to think on on social media when you're just sh- when when where you are showing off the cool stuff you do as a team and celebrating real success, yeah. right? Um, if I see an organization, a construction company that is celebrating the achievements, the the awards that that they're that that they're getting because of their team, the uh, courses and programs that their team is is going through, like you can, you know that business is well run. Even stuff in their personal life too. It's not just totally. always like business stuff. It's like hey, totally. this person had a kid. This person had a birthday. This person just cross this amazing thing off their bucket list for life. Let's yeah. just give You're good them a- people and their achievers. Totally. Right. So celebrate your team folks. I, I'll say this too, like in this sort of like construction and trades industry, it has historically been a bit more like macho, a bit more like, ah, oh, we don't need that stuff. That's what the money's for, right? Like it's your paychecks for. It's like, this matters more than you think. And it's going to get you more respect, more effort from your people than than a dollar an hour raise a lot of the time. And I think I, I just, I see this as a, an underrated part uh, of your leadership tool belt is going out of your way to recognize individuals for individual efforts. Um, it's a huge, huge, huge piece. Uh, and people always remember how you make them feel. This is easy. Point number six, uh, we've got two more here. People need to feel like they are a part of something bigger than themselves. Your business is a large, complex, ever-evolving organism. Each individual uh, plays a pivotal role within that. And how do you as a leader communicate that to each individual effectively? Ryan, we'll start with you, and then we'll go Danny, then we'll go Thomas. I think this is a, this is a really important topic because um, it's like the, th- the layers of happiness. True happiness comes from, yeah, contributing to something bigger than yourself. Um, I'll lean on, you know, Orca Masonry again here in Victoria, BC. They've got a couple really good things they do. Um, one is wh- when they're hiring a candidate or someone's in the interview process, they they lean on their their uh, individual people within their company to call that person and ask and talk to them and, and give them some. This is actually what's going on. It's like one thing to to get the the boss or the the company owner's opinion, but like here's a here's the opinion of the guy who's going to be doing the same job as you. He's been in the company for a couple of years, so that's like some real transparency on that that individual can speak to. Um, They've also created a, a staff logo, so like a badge. Like if you belong to this company, you get a you get a. There's a logo associated with this. It's like part of the club. Um, and I and another another guy I work with, I forget the name of them, but they actually created a handshake. So everybody in the company's got a secret handshake. So this is like you're part of the club. You got a logo. Now you got a handshake. Um, and I've seen other companies with like sayings, kind of like military type rhymes, you know, like don't be a fool if you're on the roof without a act. I don't remember how it works. I'm the worst at rhyming. But the, the concept of like now I'm part of this club, now I'm part of something special, um, I got the badge to prove it and I got the saying that backs it up. Um, those are some things that I've seen that are, are really powerful to, to make people feel like they belong. Well, I, 
I think going back to like something we teach fundamentally with all of our members is just like when we build their organizational structure with them, we establish a number that everybody has to achieve that's directly related to what the people below them have to go do, the people below them have to go do, and everyone's trying to achieve the same goal now, but in light of what they have direct control over. When you can share that with your team publicly and say, here's how the whole, all the pieces fit together. And here's how every single one of us contributes to getting to this big thing at the end of the whole year. It's really empowering, I think, for people. And I think, you know, one thing I've even seen, Igor, as, as we run our, our weekly huddles with our team, you know, we, ha we have our dashboard and each section of the company reports in on where they're at versus their goal, what went well, what didn't go well, and we're accountable to each other so that we all know we, we're trying to get to this big year end together and we can see where each one of us are contributing to being a part of that bigger idea. Um, and so, yeah, I just I think generally having goals, having an org structure where everybody has a number they have to achieve is, is part of it. But being able to share that with the entire company publicly and have everybody report in on that weekly, I think really brings everyone together because they're not just accountable to you, the owner anymore. They're accountable to each other. And that really brings them into like, this is our mission. Let's go do this together. This is especially important for more entry level positions. If you're a technician, if you're a laborer, if you're if you're. I don't want to speak too hierarchically, but if you're on a lower tier of the organizational chart, you as a leader need to go out of your way to show that person this is actually an incredible, like we can't do any of what we promise to do without what you do every single day. So this is not just some simple task. It's it's integral to the entire company. That is a really, really key piece to to communicate early, like as soon as someone starts. Igor? Yeah, I think um, that I just the, my, the, the biggest thing that resonates for me is is what Danny said. Like a com, an, an organization is quite a complex beast, right? Like when you, when you started, let's say in landscaping, like it was probably just you landscaping. Maybe you had one other person, right? But the, the whole thing's changed. There's so many contributors now, right? You're not an indiv you're not an individual contributor. Um, no one else on your team really is is an individual contributor. It's you're, it's just it's one giant organism, and it's your role as a leader to stitch that together so that people can see how they how everybody each each individual meaningfully contributes to that organization. Mm -hmm. Again, a huge part of a leader's role, um, Danny. Like how it's organized in in our org is um is as you know very intentional like it's not just just by random right like everybody does need to see um what what they bring to the table i know i feel that like i'm a very very small part of our organization but i can i know how my work makes bta a better place right and thomas you do too right like we we all do but like you're a very small part of the organization i'm a very small part but we can see it mm -hmm. thomas anything to add to that before we move on to our final point yeah, just I think you know what resonates really with me, and, and when I talk to other people, is like having deeper meaning. That's what it's really all about. Is if, and I think you said it well, Benji. Just if you're a general laborer with your hands on the tools, you know, you're fixing a wall or repairing a roof. There are ways that you can keep provide deeper meaning to them as well. Um, I'll, I'll do one quick example. I'm all about examples today, but like John Melanchuk with Nat Natural Elements Painter Repair. He comes to mind where he really invests into his, his um, into his team around learning, and so regardless of what where you are in, in the hierarchy of his company, he brings in professionals like a financial professional to help his team learn about managing their finances. Um, he's created a kind of a culture where learning, whether it's like finance, health, mental well-being, uh, becomes a center stage, and it's it's all about kind of growing that person, and, and so it's not just hammering away on the tools but like how do i how do we continue to become better which i think is which is which is huge so that deeper meaning element comes to mind i love it <clears throat> okay seventh and final fundamental of a strong employer brand is what we call present leadership and i want to contrast that from what i would call absentee leadership people are looking for leaders that are around they're available they show up uh thomas let's start with you and then go to ryan yeah, totally. I, you know, ultimately, like leaderships who are actively involved with their team will drive more commitment and buy-in among employees. That's like that's key. So, one of the things I, you know, from my personal experience, uh, running a painting business and, and eventually overseeing over thirty franchise operators across uh, British Columbia, you know, taking the time to go and 
and be present with them, like meet with them, provide coaching. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean to be buried in on the ground or on site all the time. That's not that's not a production efficiency, but rather taking the time to connect with your team, uh, know how they're doing, know how you can best support them, uh, is very key. So um, that's you know just it's really about you know finding out resources or training or coaching things that they really need and the only way to do that is having some sort of connection there so uh being present i think you know is, is a key element i would say for sure super true thomas i'd say um one thing to think about if you're looking talking about your PL or talking about your your expenses in your company your labor line item you know your variable labor is probably your biggest line item in your mm -hmm. entire company right so if you want to drive the most effect within your company put effort onto that line item. And that line item is your people, right? And so what does that look like? That's leadership, right? That's um, holding your people accountable, giving them the tools they need to do the job, building SOPs that can help them understand what good looks like when they're doing a task. Most employees are honestly are desperate to know what's going on at the at, with the rest of the company. You as a business owner have everything in your head. You know what's going on, but you know, your tech on the front line, he doesn't really know what's going on unless you make a, a, a serious point to communicate that with him. And you telling the PM and him telling the labor, maybe that's right. going to happen, but you need to have real clear uh, communication path, regular one-on-ones with all of your employees. Sounds like a lot of work, but if you can take five or 10 minutes a month with each individual person just to get a vibe on where they're at, what their challenges are, um, tell them a little bit about what's going on, can go, can go a long way. Of course, company-wide meetings where you're talking about successes, wins, vision, how you're living your values. I mean, those are, those are incredibly powerful as well. Um, but just communicating to your people on those different levels, uh, I can't say it enough. I think that's one of the most important ways you can affect this. I think about this too, like there's there's those who are absentee owners, but I bet you, especially if the people who are listening, even more of them are overbearing owners. Like they're too like, let me just, just, I'll just take it. I'll just do it. You know what? Just like, don't worry about it. Like, let me just take it over. Right. And that's not great leadership either. Right. So they either. might justify it by being like, well, I'm in the field. I'm like showing the guys like how it gets right. done, but you're like intimidating everybody and like making them all feel like they're not, they're worthless. Totally. They're not going to ever amount to anything compared to you and so like to take kind of a middle ground not be, to be absentee or to not to be you know overbearing but to be present right is to be i almost rephrase it like to be in servant leadership where it's just like my whole like reason for being here in this company with you guys is to help each one of you get across the finish line and whatever that looks like whether it's your goals your personal and professional aspirations like that i have to that, that's why i'm here i have to get you to where you want to be and, you know, we always have lots of little mechanisms. You guys probably talk about it in the podcast, GSNR, right? Goal setting review every week, being there for them. But your job isn't to do it for them. And your job also isn't to just not show up. It's it's to, to support them, to help them achieve their goals. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that's emotionally supporting them. Sometimes it's physically being out there with them. Sometimes it's teaching them and working on the skill sets. But I think a present leader realizes that I'm not going to do this for you. So I have to do this through you. And I have to take the long road to make that actually happen. Yeah, that's such a great point. Yeah, it's it's not about just being physically present and being a physical, a present micromanager. It's being a present leader. Very different. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. The, my, where where my mind goes with this, like you know, we talk a lot about this like work life balance, and and I think we really stand for developing a great lifestyle and doing the things that you want to do in life. But um, you know, Danny, on the opposite extreme, that's it's also doesn't mean being absent um, as as a leader, right? Where I, I remember very vividly a conversation a couple of years ago with a guy he runs the largest he's the founder of the largest painting company in, in the country and um, we were talking a bit about this and, and his perspective is like your business and your key people need you and your presence not always but especially in certain moments they need you and and if you don't want to do that that's cool like you kind of got to get out of the way then 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 don't be in a key leadership role but um there, it, from at least from his perspective, and I think there's a lot of validity to it. You don't want to be kind of going at a 20% pace. You're probably just going to get more in the way. And he used the analogy of like, if you're racing on the track, race on the track. Don't like idle along and get in the way of other cars. And if you want to get off, get off. But if you're going to be there, be there. Um, so that that's um, that that's my take on this. It's interesting. A lot of what we're talking about in this section too is it is very much about what we're doing with our people, and not so much like how we're advertising it out to the public yet, mm -hmm. right? And I think that there's a big 
big thing to be said about that, which is I, I've always thought about this more in a sales context, but I call it the prove it process. Like you can tell people all day long how great you are and what you'll do for them and what they'll make for you. There's also just like actually doing that and letting the word get out and having it said for you. Totally. Coming in yeah, this is a lot, all this is a lot easier to talk about than actually do, <laughs> just so we're clear, which is why most people just do the talking about it. And what we're talking about here in these seven items is like, how do you actually do this stuff? How do you actually walk the walk? Like, I don't, yeah. like, don't, don't act like you're a great place to work if you're not. Like, please don't use these tools for... For, coercion. For, yeah, like for coercion. <laughs> like this is what we're saying. It's like if you want to have a strong employer brand, if you want to run a business for a long time, if you want to be a talent magnet or a destination employer, as some people might call it, these seven things are what every potential estimator, technician, landscaper, painter, project manager, office manager, controller, like this is what they are looking for. This is where they want to call home. And it takes time. This isn't something you can do next week, but these, this is what we want you as a leader to have on your radar. You know, Print this out, put it on your wall, and just say, this is where I'm moving my business toward. I'm going to recap really quick, um, and then we're going we're gonna to close out for today. We've got a part two of this episode coming out next week, but just to sort of like um, cover what we've gone over so far, number one, it's visible growth opportunities. Number two, it's top-tier compensation. Number three, it's running a mission-based or a purpose-driven company. Number four, it's a fun company culture that you can demonstrate. Number five, it's recognition. Number six, you want to make people feel like they are a part of something bigger than themselves. And number seven, which we just finished, is present leadership. Yeah. And the cool thing is, as Benji, as you recap on all those seven, um, there are a lot of stories to tell. If you do this, if you are actually living the story, there's a lot of storytelling to be done out of all these things, right? In a world that is so interconnected socially uh, and digitally, um, there's ample opportunity to, to, be, to be telling these stories. And if you want to really build a world-class employer brand, yes, you've got to live them, which is the harder part, uh, but also don't forget to be a storyteller. That's how a great brand is built over time. So um, that's that for for today. As Benji said, like these are these are big overarching things that take a long time to develop. Next week we're going to be back with some quick win strategies and things that you can implement very quickly yeah. to move your your employer brand forward. So make sure that you uh, tune in next week and hit that subscribe button wherever you are watching or you're listening to get the notification as soon as next week episode drops. We'll be getting into some quick fire wins that you can do to move your employer brand forward. Thanks a lot for listening to this episode of Contractor Evolution. Uh, if you've already subscribed to our channel, consider sharing this episode with another contractor who you think needs to hear it.